uh, lawlessness abounding at every corner. We know uh, the spirit of Antichrist. John spoke of his day and said, don't, don't, don't just be looking for a man way down the road to come. Antichrist is here. It's everywhere. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's seizing power and control. And the reason is what Megan said. When you eliminate the word of God from your nation, then you, uh, things happen. When you eliminate the word of God from society, things happen. The restrainer is, 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 is taken away and, and, and lawlessness begins to abound like crazy. And we are seeing a day of, of absolute uh, things we could never imagine. And it's the biggest reason is, uh, is, is this. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. And I, I really don't, I'm really not interested in preaching sermons anymore. I, I used to want to come up here and have polished sermons and impress you. And today I have two sermons that I'm going to meld together. And I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't really care. I just want to speak to you as a father in the Lord. I want to speak to you as someone who's read the book, who knows what I believe God's revealed in my life. And the time is so late we don't need just another sermon. We don't need just another. Um, uh, we, we, we need something that will secure us and help us in the days ahead. And I know what God's spoken to my heart today. I, I want to pick up with last week, but then I, I've got another message I want to entertain. It may go a little longer than I anticipate and want it to. But you know what? If we can spend hours watching cartoons and the things that I showed you at the beginning that are brainwashing us and absolutely taking this word and, and, and just destroying it, then I don't think an hour of the Word of God on Sunday morning or so is too much. And uh, uh, we need God's Word. We need it over and over and over in our lives. And so, uh, so I'm just going to deliver it the way that God wants to deliver it here, and we'll, we'll go from there. So I want to talk to you again about the Apostles' Doctrine. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that uh, uh, we are here today. God, th- you, you, you said that God, that, that people were going to dream dreams and have visions. My, my friend Melvin this week called me, said, oh, men will see, dream dreams. And God, you gave him a dream this week that he shared with me, God. Here's Megan coming up with a dream, God, that you're showing her. And, and, and God, you're speaking. To, in fact, I was, Lord, I was at a, at a, at a, at a going away party for my uncle and, and, and his granddaughter, Leah, shared a dream she had with me. She said, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision, but, but God shared it with me. God, you're, you're, you're speaking to us. You're trying to speak to us. God, you're, you're, you're trying to speak to us in your word. And, all, and, and, and Lord, uh, God, you, wanna, you want it to, us to know you. And so, Lord, today, God, let your word go forth. Let, let uh, uh, God uh, bring us back to what we're, we're called to be and look like. God, bring us back to a place of uh, walking in unity. God, uh, I can't get unity off my heart. I cannot. I cannot get. There's such division that is absolutely putrid. It's ugly. It's foul. It's demonic. And it's worked its way into every facet of our society, even into the church. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And my heart, I don't know why, but God, you're changing my heart. And I'm seeing through your eyes. And God, it's got to stop. 
It's got to stop. Your prayer has got to be heard and answered, God. Make them one, even as you and I are one. And so, God, make us one. Make us one. Give us a revelation of the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus, God. God, you have a body on the earth. And, God, let that body be one. Let them be whole. Let them be well. Let them be, God, bound together by by love, God, by the love that, that comes and flows from the Father down through the Son into the body and through the Holy Spirit. And God, let that love just, just, just radiate through us so that the world will know that those that you've sent, God, that, that, that uh, you've loved them with the same love that, that, Father, you have for the Son. And the world will see and know God because of the love. The Word, the Scripture's clear. That's the way they're going to know God is here. That's the way they're going to know God is by the love we have one for another, God. And we've been a poor, poor advertisement of that, God. Baptize us with love. Fill us with love. God, let your love become just so real in our lives in this last hour, God. And I'm talking about me, God. Let it just pour your love abroad in my heart. Pour your love until I love my enemy, until I love those that despitefully use me and say all manner of evil against me, until like Richard Wormbrand, he's loving his captors and the people who are beating him, until we love the world the way Jesus did, that he's suspended on a cross, given his life for lost humanity because he saw the joy that was before him. He endured the cross. He saw the making of sons and daughters. It was worth it. And oh dear God, let us quit trying to, to escape everything and Lord once and for all love the world with the love of God and be willing to lay down our life God for others dear God help us help us people are perishing they're dying they're going to hell children are watching what I showed a while ago and they're going to perish if somebody doesn't take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the four corners of the earth if somebody doesn't stand up against the tide of evil, if somebody's not willing to lose their life, their job, their, their, their everything, God, so that you might be seen in this world. Oh, God, help us, dear God. We are the only Bible people are going to read and see now. And God, help us to be the advertisement of Jesus that needs to be seen in this world. Help us, God. It can't be human. It has to be supernatural, God. It has to be what happened to 120 people that gathered in an upper room. God, they were bankrupt. They, they, had, they had fallen. They had made promises they couldn't keep. They had tried to, 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 to help the flesh get better. And nothing worked. And they're bankrupt. God, maybe we're close to that day in America. Maybe we're that close to the place again in the world where we'll stop our foolishness, our stupid ideas, all of our performances. And God just come back down and we'll sit in a room and say, dear God, let the power come again. Lord, let the Holy Spirit come and do in us what needs to be done to get the gospel out in this last hour before you come. Dear God, help us to stand up against the tide of Antichrist and all the things that are coming on this world, God. Help us to lay down our life. Help us to lose our life so that we can gain your life, dear God. And we give you the praise. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So, so last week we talked about this word koinonia. Koinonia, and it's a Greek word, and it means fellowship. And what the word really means is joint participation. It's not just one person, it's the whole body. It's joint participation in fellowship together. 
And we talked about the first message of that was unity. Unity, that God, God is, 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 this is all drives out of unity. That God, we read in John 17, make them one even as we are one. It's out of a revelation that we are one in Jesus Christ. That just like the Father and the Son are one, we are one with them. And God's love flows down to the world and to each other. That's, that, it, 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 it's not a program. This is, not, this is something that flows out of that revelation that begins to happen. And when it began to happen, it began to uh, cause these people to do devote themselves to several things right here that we read in Acts 2, 42. Go ahead to the next scripture. And, and here's what they began to do. They devoted themselves. And we said that word devoted meant it was like glue. It was like a super glue. They super glued themselves out of that oneness, out of that revelation that we, Mark, are unified in Christ just as the Trinity is unified, just as the Father and the Son are one and they have each other's best benefit and they are never crossed with each other. They're never divided. They're always in sync. They're always one. We, we too, are, even though we're diverse and we're different, it's not like a bunch of penguins we said all huddled together that we all look alike. It's not that we all look alike, we, but, but like a symphony, like a beautiful symphony that comes together. And we said when they're down in the orchestra pit and they begin to warm up the instruments, they sound kind of horrible because they're just... But then when the conductor comes up to the stand, does this, and begins to strike that chord, they all come together in unison and it's the most glorious sound. And that's what Jesus does. We have all different giftings and we all have different backgrounds and we have all different socioeconomic uh, uh, differences and backgrounds. But when the conductor comes to the stand and when you are one in Him, when you are in the vine, when you, are, when you become one of the branches that bears fruit and His life is flowing through you and the conductor comes up there with all the giftings, we come together as a symphony working together masterfully and beautifully and when they did this it flowed down the love of God flowed down in their lives and they began to glue themselves to these things to the apostles teaching to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer and we talked about the unity of that last week and today we're going to talk about the the what is the apostles teaching or the apostles doctrine and I want to ask you a question if you had because it's prudent that we have this fellowship now it's prudent it is spiritually prudent you let me tell you what happens to sheep that spend time by themselves they get killed so if you're pompous enough to think you can make this spiritual walk by yourself you're going against everything the Bible and your master taught you about sheep. They don't do well by themselves. The enemy devours them. And so we must stay together. We must stay in this body with a head that gives us direction, that tells us where to go, and we need to do that. And so it's spiritually prudent. These messages are more of the foundation that we're laying that's going to help us make it in the last days that we're living in on this earth. And that's why church matters so much, and that's why there's this thing to shut it down in the earth today. To lock you down and to get you isolated and to get you by yourself and to get you to a place where I can just watch church on television. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. And it's a lie. And you will one day. <laughs> 
And if you had, if you had to, so let me ask this question. If you had to write your own Bible, if I ask you to write your own Bible, which we wouldn't ask you to do, but what would it actually look at like? Would it look like this? Or would it be a small pamphlet? Maybe, maybe, you know, some of us would keep the promises and the encouraging word. We love to buy those promise books with all the promises. Looks like a pamphlet. And read just the promises and the encouraging words. But maybe our Bible, we would, we would take out all the parts that convicted us. Like maybe if I get to the next part of this message that I want to, where I'm going to talk about Josiah and I'm going to talk about uh, several kings, the king that followed him, uh, and how the, the pen knife hearers took a knife and began to cut out the parts they didn't like in the Word of God because it, it, it perturbed them and they, they didn't like it. And so uh, what would our Bible look like if we had, would we keep one gospel? I mean, Daniel, why four? They say the same things, don't they? Jeez, wouldn't it make it a lot easier if we just put the Bible together and we just had one gospel? You know, pick the best one, maybe John or whatever. You know, pick one and let's, let's put that in there. So if I were to ask you that, but when we get together, one thing we know, and one thing we know that these people did out of that oneness with God that naturally began to happen, Mark, we can, we, we're going to start groups and we're going to see more groups forming and getting together and trying to get us together. But one thing we're going to see that they do is that... We that that I want it to be more um, organic. I want it to be like this because you can try to force something and try to take these principles. But with this church, it began out of knowing God, out of out of having His love begin to flow. It began to just begin to be organic that people started to say, "Hey, why don't we leave the temple court? Why don't we leave the church that we gather in on Sunday? It doesn't make sense just to come here, rush in this door, listen to a song, never talk to me anybody, maybe hug a neck, and then to rush out of that door as soon as He says, Amen." scurry back to our homes, be by ourselves all week, and then come back maybe on Wednesday or Sunday and do that again. They said, hey, it's not enough for me just to be here and gather with Faith and Dustin on, uh, on Sunday. Hey guys, why don't y'all come to the house? Why don't you come over to my house and why don't we get together? And hey, I've asked the Wiggins to come and I've asked the Turners to come and I've asked these other groups. And so why don't we gather together? And as they began to gather together in this love that was going on, as they came together, they devoted themselves, they glued themselves to having these things begin to happen. Hey, while we're here, let me show show you something in the Word. Dustin, a while ago you were mentioned singing Sunday and not playing the drums. Let me, let me show you something I read in the Word this week. And it just naturally began that they began to pick up the Apostles' Doctrine. And you know what they said? They had it better. Well, they didn't have it really better. They, they didn't have the Word written like this, like we did completed. So they might say, hey Luke, or hey Mark, why don't you come over? Mark, the book of Mark. Why don't you come over? You walked with him. You spent time with him. Why don't you come over to the house too? and tell us what that was like. Tell us what was, it, what was it like to spend time with Jesus and teach us. And so they begin to come and they begin to teach out of the Word of God. And then they began to have fellowship. Hey, while we're here, why don't we break bread together? Why won't, hey, Marcy prepared something. Go get the hors d'oeuvres. Go get the stuff. Y'all want something to drink? They begin to fellowship together. They begin to break bread that we'll talk about next week and in the coming weeks. And then before they leave, like, you know, somebody comes to the house, you spend time and then 
and they begin to say, hey, before we leave, Dale Kittle's in the hospital. Why don't we gather together and why don't we pray for him? Oh, you got a big meeting tomorrow at work? Why don't we pray for that right now? And this just began to be a natural, organic life of the church that began to flow. This is what it looked like. If we don't look like that, something's wrong because that's what the Spirit began to do in these people and this is what they began to devote themselves to. Now, the Spirit ain't going to do that way back then and then decide, I'm different today. No, we've become different. Or we don't have the right Spirit flowing through us. Or something's not right. Because this is what, in that oneness with the Father and the Son, this is what began to form and what began to happen. Now, there's something really interesting that began to happen back in the Old Testament when Israel wanted a king. And this actually was written before they wanted a king, that God put this in the Word of God. And the king was instructed to write a copy of this, to take what the scrolls that the scribes had and the Levites had way back when and they were to copy the word of God handwritten themselves that's what the most important person in the land was to do and it wasn't just oh good king so and so before me did this so I can just read his and I don't have to do it every king had to write their own copy of the word of God look at Deuteronomy 17 and I'll show you where this is It says this, also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest and the Levite. So not only does he have to do it, but he's got to be under the watchful eye of the priest and Levite to make sure he does it right. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn. Here's why God's having him do it. So four things, that he may learn To uh, fear the Lord, His God. This is why God wants you to read your Bible. And when we don't read our Bible, this is what happens. And why do we don't fear the Lord in this nation? He wants you to read it all the days of your life that He may fear the Lord, His God. Be careful to observe the words of this law and these statutes. You wonder why our children don't obey this? We took it out of our schools. We took it out of our court buildings. We took it out of our society. And we took it out of our homes. You know what? I'm not responsible for teaching your child. Nor is a youth pastor or a children's pastor. You are. We just undergird that. And if it's not taught in the home, you're going to stand before the Almighty God one day and answer. And young person, if you're old enough to know right from wrong, it's your responsibility. That he may fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe the words of this law and these statutes. And that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. So I'm not some big shot that I'm the king. I'm like all these other people. I'm not some big shot because I'm a pastor or because I'm a youth leader or because I'm a singer or I'm a teacher. I'm not better than you. I'm, he, he wanted him to read it so that he knew his heart wouldn't be lifted up in pride above his brethren that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right nor the left and that he may prolong his day or, or his days in his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel. So basically, he was to read this book for four reasons. It was to produce reverence and the fear of God. I can tell we don't 
don't read the Word of God because we no longer have reverence in His house. We no longer have reverence in our society. We no longer have reverence in our home. We no longer follow the commands of this book. And God said, and this is what the early church was vital, that when they came together, that they constantly, in their fellowship, in their koinonia, that somehow they brought to these new converts that were coming, this revival that was breaking out. Hey, come to the house. We want to show you more that's in God's Word. Amen? And secondly, it produced humility. It took him away from the sin of pride. It produced longevity. It would give him long life because if you follow the precepts of this book, you're going to live longer. If you act a fool and don't do what God says, then you may die early. And so it gives longevity, it gives long life. And then fourth, it gives a posterity. And a posterity means your kids and grandkids. It, it, it would keep his family intact. If you do this in your home, kids and their kids will follow these precepts and rules in this book too. And you'll be a family worshiping God together. And this will be what it will look like. And so these things were required by the king all the days of his life. And it was to produce reverence, the Bible said. It was to produce uh, humility. It was to produce longevity. And it was to produce posterity. And that's where you come to Acts 2.42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching or doctrine. It means they stuck together with it like super glue. As the work of the ministry was going on, they devoted themselves to making sure that as house to house where they were gathering, that they were preserving the posterity of this book. That the new people coming in knew how important the words of the apostles were. They knew how important the Bible was. They knew how important the doctrine of Jesus Christ was. This is not some YMCA. This is not some different group where we just go play putt-putt golf. No, these people may go play putt-putt golf together, but they, when they get back, there's something. They want to make sure the new converts in that place know God's Word. And so they devoted themselves to this. They made sure as they rubbed shoulders with each other that they were being held accountable. I remember when I came to Linwood, we had supper clubs and we had these groups going on. And, and the one thing that I remember is I go to somebody's house, like maybe a Tom or Cindy or whatever, or somebody's house, uh, uh, David and Jan Salters the, that I saw back there, David earlier. And we go to somebody's house and I remember. I thought, man, I grew up in church, but there's something different. These people, like, like when we get together, man, they, they live the Word of God. We get together and there's these things, the teaching of God's Word breaks out and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. It just began to happen and our lives began to be changed. We were acting crazy because we're coming in, be half secular, half Christian, all these things coming in. And now we're seeing the book open and we're learning how... This is not what you do in your life, and that's not what you do in your life. And this family looks different from us. And we begin to be begin to get course corrected by the fellowship that we were having, and when the word of God began to be open and taught. And so, what is the apostles' doctrine? Well, number one, it was teaching and preaching on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whenever they get a new uh, uh, Matthias or whoever they're going to cast lots to get a new person. They always said, make sure he's been there since 
the beginning. Make sure he's been there since the baptism. Make sure he's been baptized. Make sure he knows about the resurrection of Christ. They taught about the resurrection of Christ because they knew when the resurrection was taught that people's hearts were ignited with the passion and power of Jesus Christ. So that was part of the apostles' doctrine when they got together. They, we, we're going to tell about Christ. He's, been, he's dead and he's buried. You killed him, but he's raised from the dead. And now he's triumphed and he sits at the right hand of God and he sent the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And man, we're more than conquerors. And then number two, they weren't theologians. Listen, you don't have to be a pastor to, to get somebody in your home and open the scriptures up to them. These men had just been with Jesus for three and a half years listening to him, listening to the word, listening and getting it into their life. They were not theologians, but they had a revelation knowledge. The Holy Spirit opened up the scriptures to these people and they just began to expound what the Holy Spirit had taught them. Amen? And then thirdly, their understanding had been opened by Christ. Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. He took things, the Bible said, from the Psalms and the law and the prophets and expounded it to them. He began to open it up to them. He took all of these things and started showing them, hey, back there, that was me. Hey, back there, that was me. Hey, back there, that was me. And he began to open it up and it, become, it began to reveal Christ. It was concealed, but now it's revealed and it's opened up to them. And they had an understanding that was opened up by Christ. And that was part of the apostles' doctrine. Jesus was taking the Scriptures now that the Holy Spirit had been poured out and was revealing it to them. He opened their understanding. He takes all the pieces of the Word of God, which is what I'm trying to do with you in the covenants, and puts them together and makes it, aha! And that's what they began to open up in their homes. They began to share the doctrine of Christ. And let me give you a few words, and then I'll try to shift into another part that will show you some things about Josiah. But let me show you what doctrine, because a lot of times the English words are hard to translate into the Greek words. And let me show you what this word doctrine means in several places where it's in the Scriptures so you can understand what they were carrying into those homes, what they were taking into the places where they had this koinonia, where they were fellowship together where they were putting this in the homes and making sure everybody had a, a good understanding of the apostles doctrine this is what began to happen so look at the first example in Hebrews 6 1 it says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ now that word doctrine is the word logos here and that word means the whole word of God is good for us and, and, and so the first thing that they began to discover is the whole Word of God is good for us. When we come together and when we open this book and we begin to share this with one another in joint participation. I'm so glad Megan came up and shared that, that dream today. Joint participation of the body. Not keeping that inside. Something God gave her. Not just a preacher God gives stuff to. God gave it to her. God gives a song, and He gives a hymn, and He gives a spiritual song, and He gives a dream, and He gives this and that. And so all of a sudden, but, but they began to, 
to, to take this doctrine, which was the logos in some instances, or the whole word of God, the whole word of God they begin to know is good for us. Not just certain pieces of it, not just building a Bible like a pamphlet, not just saying the miracles have ceased for today or getting on the back of some this or that. No, the whole word of God is good for us, and we're going to read it, we're going to study it, we're going to study it together, and we're going we're gonna to learn about it. And, and then the second, and it's going to affect every area of our lives. And that's the second place where we see this word doctrine, 2 Timothy 3.16, where sometimes we just read a word, doctrine, and we think in English, well, that's that. No, in the Greek, it's so much more. Listen to what it says. Now, you don't have to know Greek to go get people oh, putting all this fancy Greek on you. You can know the Bible. But, but, but sometimes words in English are hard to translate. And so they do the best they can. But here, listen to what it says here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word here in the Greek means all manner of living. It doesn't mean logos here. It means all manner of living. In other words, the Greek, it, it, it means every aspect of life. So when they came together and they saw women coming into the house raising children, the older women, like Titus says, began to help, began to instruct in every manner of living. When they saw a child coming home and they had a book on evolution from the public school and they began to say, that's not right. That's not what God says about creation. And they began to instruct in all manner of living. They said the God of the universe, the creator of everything wrote this book and we can go into it and we can know about everything. Everything, Mark. It's good for every part of life. Hey, I noticed the way you're talking to this person or that way. That's a little bit harsh. The Word of God tells us this. And we begin to instruct people in all manner of living. That's why you need to come together. That's why you need to have koinonia. That's when you do come together. You devote yourself to the Apostles' Doctrine. Because I got news to you. You can sit here and tell me all you want. You ain't going to instruct your life the, the way you need to in all manner of evil. No. You'll deceive yourself. But that woman over there will tell me the truth. She sure will. In a place where I think I'm right. Sometimes in love she'll come and tell me I'm wrong. And I need that. And I need that with some other people. And I need other people to encourage me and say, you're doing where I'm bummed on myself. And you say, quit, you lift it. John Manuel, one time I was crying down there and it was wrong. And I was feeling sorry, self-pity. And he came down this aisle and he whispered in my ear without embarrassing me, get up. Get up and stop. And it was like a father telling a son, enough's enough, get up. Quit pouting and live. You know, we need that. We need that because sometimes we can't see it or we make excuses for it or our wounds hide and deceive us. And then, so, so when they came together, the, the, this doctrine meant, it meant logos, all the word of God. It meant uh, all manner of living. And then the third aspect was, was in John 7, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but, it, but it's his that sent me. That's rhema. Rhema. Everybody ever heard the word rhema? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's like uh, Peter. Peter's there and all of a sudden, hey, do you know who I am? You're the Son of God. And he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven. He had an a moment. Logos is 
the entire word, but Rhema is like, hey, it's it, God revealed this to me. It's in me. I know that I know that I know that I know that's truth because God spoke it directly to my heart, and I know it is. It's been revealed from heaven. And, and so they went from house. Revelation has come as I've walked with God. Amen. As I began to walk with God, He begins to open up the scriptures, He begins to reveal things to me. It's like taking this word and beginning to read it over and over and over. And then one day you read it and it just pops off the page. I've read that 50 million times, but now I get it. I get it. I know what he's talking about there. It's revealed by the Father to us. And that's what he's talking about here with doctrine. Is that the living word begins to come alive. And in every household, they began with the apostles' teaching. And from the home to home, the word of God began to be opened up naturally. And when, it, and when that doesn't happen, it's what's called dualism. And it's what we have in this nation. It creates a divided nation. And I'm going to switch gears for a minute, and then I'm going to come back. And I'm going to finish with meditation is not an option. But I want to take a little bit of a, of, of a detour for a minute, because I just couldn't get this off of my heart. We're talking about the king, and we're talking about the word of God, him writing. What, ha- what happens when we, when we don't put the word of God in our house? What happens when we don't have it in our society? What happens when the king doesn't write it down and doesn't have those aspects going on? I'll tell you what happens. The people in the land reject the Bible and then chaos follows. If you hadn't turned on your news lately, chaos is everywhere. Judgment follows. And that's exactly where we are. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't know of a nation on the face of the earth that is governed by the word of God anymore. I don't. I don't know one nation on the face of the earth where you can say that a nation is governed by God's word now. You could say that one time about America, but you can't say that about America anymore. And it's fatal, and it leads to confusion. It leads to judgment. And, and, and God judged ancient Israel in, 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 for this very thing. And I'm going to tell you what, He is judging and will judge America for this very thing. In the Old Testament, He says these things are meant for our, our instruction. And there's an object lesson found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah provides us with a great object lesson of what happens when you take God's Word out of society and how God begins to bring chaos and judgment on a people. God told Jeremiah to write down 23 years worth of prophetic warnings to the people of God because they were about to go into Babylonian captivity for their sin and because they had forgotten God's commands and forgotten God's word. And so, so what had happened is there was a wicked king by the name of Manasseh that had been in charge before this and, and, and he had turned everything. He forgot God's word and they lost God's word in their nation. The temples were turned into abominable centers of idol worship. They dabbled in witchcraft. I mean, I hear all this today, God's got to love it. He doesn't care about all these things going on. I, I tell you what, all those video games and all these books we're reading and all these things of dabbling in witchcraft and false gods and other things, He absolutely cares! They dabbled in witchcraft. And all you got to do is read the book and you'll see it. Sorry, John, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just skipped. Jeremiah wept, I'm yelling. I need to weep more. 
He turned the temple into an abominable center of idol worship. He dabbled in witchcraft. He turned to enchantments. He turned to familiar spirits and to wizards. And the evil man despised God's word, trampling his laws and rejecting the commandments of God. Manasseh, the Bible says, seduced Israel to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel, the Bible says in 2 Kings 21.9. He despised God's word. Word, the Bible says. Our leaders today in this nation hate God's Word. Many of our school leaders, many of our government officials, most of our colleges and most of our seminaries. And the result of hating this book and taking it out of our lives or twisting it or altering it or changing it or watering it down is national chaos. We are a confused people. And it said, because Manasseh has done these things, Jeremiah wrote, Behold, God said, I'm bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judea, on Judah that whosoever hears of it, both of his ears shall tingle. In other words, I will wipe Jerusalem, he says in verse 17 or 13, as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I'm going to turn the nations who do this upside down. I'm going to judge you so harshly, you'll think your world has been up, turned upside down. Hey, 9-11, hey, COVID, does anybody feel like their worlds are turned upside down? Even though Manasseh eventually repented, the Bible says that God would not call off the judgments. He delayed them, but He wouldn't call them off. Folks, I'm telling you, there's hope. We can, we can stay judgments. We can pray. We can pray and we need to pray. I don't know where the heart, my heart is to pray and other people's, but we better start praying quickly. Amen? We can stay certain things. And, and, and so, so uh, but, but we can't refuse this Word of God. How can we as a nation do the things that we do? And I'll tell you the way. We, how can we have cartoons like that? How can we have pride parades in our street? How can we have kids uh, living in, um, uh, and shacking up before marriage? How can we have senior citizens living together, trying to salvage their check, doing things immoral that they know is against God's Word, just refuse? Using God's word because he understands. Knowing what God's word says. Knowing that if we would trust him, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of having to make a terrible decision, that, that, that he would be with us and he would walk with us and he would go through it and he would never leave us nor forsaken. And with the temptation, he would always make a way of escape. The reason we can do the things that we're doing is because we have refused to do what God's Word says. Manasseh's son inherited the throne. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 22.2, he did what was right in God's eyes. We're doing what's right in our eyes. He did what's right in God's eyes. 
And here's how it happened. They found, the high priest found the scriptures that had been just, hey, we're no longer writing the word of God. We're no longer reading the word of God to ourselves. So we'll fear the Lord. So we'll make sure we walk in the statutes. No, we're doing everything we want to do. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do what you want to do. Girl, do what you want to do. God, do what you want to do. Hey, you want a divorce? Do what you want to do. God hates divorce, but who cares? Do, it's about you. Do what you want to do. You want to get married, but you want to live together before marriage? Don't worry. Do what you want to do. You want to go with the opposite sex? Don't worry about God's word. Do what makes you happy. And so because God's word had been removed from society and everybody told them on television that it's okay and in their little circles at work and everywhere they went out to, to hang out and in their churches and temples... Where we just don't preach the Bible, but let's preach self-help. More about you. More about making you feel good about religion. More about, I just saw this week where three of the most uh, biggest religions just met in Germany. Where they finally have come together. Where they can all come together and, and, and build a temple together to all worship together. We've gotten smarter than God. And, and so, so, so... Finally, they find the book of the law over in the corner somewhere or in the wall. They bring it out and the Bible says that this young Josiah had it read to him. And when he had the book of the law read to him, he trembled at the word of God. Oh, that men would tremble at this book. Oh, that we would fear God more than we fear hurting our little children. Oh, that we would tell our children what they're doing is right and wrong. Oh, that we would discipline them and tell them no or do even what we had to do. Oh, that we would tell our, uh, oh, that we would come back to, 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 to just reading the book of the law and fearing the word of God and begin to walk in its ways. It says that he walked in the way of God when he heard it, uh, in the way of his father David, who was his great great grandfather. And he turned not aside to the right nor to the left of this book. If it says it, I'm going to do it. I don't care how hard. I don't care how difficult. If it says it, if God's Word says it, my goodness, we have not been living this. We are a new nation of confused and crazy and chaotic people. And if the Word of God says this now, and I've heard it read, I'm going to do it. And so Josiah took the Word of God seriously, the Bible says. He rent his clothes he began to promise to do it, and, 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 and so uh, he went to Huldah, the prophetess, and he said, what should we do? Huldah said, God's judgment is coming on this nation. It still stands, but because you've humbled yourself, he said, she said, because you've humbled yourself, you won't see this evil come upon you in your generation. It's going to be stayed for a later time. And so every time Josiah would have this book read to him by the scribes, he would begin to do what it said to do and he would begin to conform it that's why we're trying to get you to read the word of God because when I look at my life and the life of so many Christians they, they sit there and boast about being wonderful Christians but you can see right through me and I can see right through you that we are not following all that this book says to follow in our homes, at our jobs, in our workplace, at the ball field and everywhere else we go, amen 
And so he began to read it. And he began to learn it. And he began to repent. And he began to conform to what it says. And he began to go into the land. And he didn't say, well, God's love and one day he's going to deal with all this. No, he began to deal with the Sodomites because that was love. And he began to go into the towns. And he began to go to the pagan altars. And he began to tear down the idols. And he began to tear down all the human sacrifices that were going on. Because he read in the book, this is not right. We cannot do this and honor God. We, as a people of God, we've got to stop doing these things. And he went through the land and began to clear these things out. And finally, at the end of the 19 years before Josiah ended his reign, he warns, judgment's coming on the land. He goes back to a time of warning the people. And he says this, he says that it's coming because there's no genuine repentance. We all know the Word of God. We all come to church every week. We all sing and shout. But he said, there's no repentance that has gone on in this nation. And because of that, he said, God is going to... He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go and I want you to write down the last 20-something years and I want you to shake the nation. I want you to shake them with your word. I want you to pronounce judgment. I want you to warn them as hard as you can warn them because I want you to turn them upside down in hopes that they will repent and turn back to me. And God knows we need prophets thundering the Word of God from pulpits again. No, we need prophets thundering the Word of God. The warnings of God. Not good time, feel-goodism. We need prophets who are not ashamed and are not afraid to thunder God's Word again. Amen? So he said, shake my people, stir their hearts. Maybe they'll see their evil ways and repent, and then I can forgive them. And folks, we're no different today. we got preachers that are preaching smooth things, but we've also got preachers out there that are warning about evil ways, and we just keep turning a blind eye to it. God gave Jeremiah a final warning. Hang with me just a second longer. Josiah dies. Jehoiakim took the throne. And, and Jeremiah comes, he says, let's have a fast. God has told me to warn the people, Babylonians are coming. We've been saying this for years and years and years and years and years and years. He's been warning, like David Wilkerson, David Reagan, and all kinds of Billy Graham, and all kinds of people have done in this nation for years and years and years and years and years. They've warned, and we yawned, and we said, what time is he going to finish and get us out of here so we can get to the restaurant? Because i got to get home, I'm tired, my back hurts, I'm tired, and i got to get, and we've done that. And now it's at a place where we too are probably on the verge much more than we think we are. And so God gives Jeremiah, he says, write down the last 23 years of what I've been saying that they have become so gospel hardened, they won't listen to it anymore. They don't even come anymore. They don't even, they, they're pompous, they're proud, there's no fear of the Lord. And he said, I want you to tell them one more time what's about to come, even as the Chaldeans are marching after them. And in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the Chaldean armies are coming. Judgment is finally coming. He stated for a young, pre, young king who got into the Word of God and began to repent and truly follow the book and change things in his nation. But the people really didn't repent. And now he says judgment is coming. Warn the people. And Jeremiah's words over the past 27 years were about to come to pass. And he began to get up. They held a fast. And the warnings are about to come. But this group of people 
scoffed at it, or most of them. And finally, Jeremiah's words are here. They're coming to pass. This is it. And this is God. He's standing up like I'm doing today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Hey, the Chinese could roll in here tomorrow. The, the, the Russia is shooting missiles all everywhere, practicing everything. No, who knows what could happen tomorrow? All the evil that was in the Middle East is now flooding back in in Afghanistan, in Iran. There's stuff everywhere. People are getting nuclear bombs. All kinds of stuff is happening. We don't know what tomorrow holds, people. And so finally, Jeremiah's words come to pass. And here he is going to give this, at this fast the king has called. And a fast is going to be held in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah sent a scribe, Barak, Baruch, to deliver what would be God's final warning before judgment. And here's what he said in Jeremiah 36.10. Then read Baruch in the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the ears of the people. I want all the people to hear What's what I've been warning for the past 27 years. He said, I want, I want it to be in their ears. So Baruch thundered the message. And here's, here's three types of people that heard that message. And I, I want you to find out where you fall in this category. And this is what we're going to have in this last hour. The first group of people that heard were what was called the passive hearer. And I think we got a lot of those in America. The passive hearer. Hear me well. If you don't get anything else, get these last three points. The passive hearer. He's about to tell judgment's coming. The hoofbeats are coming. And here's what he says. I'm reading the message and this is the type of people that heard the message. First of all, there is the passive hearer that's going to hear my words today. And many listeners are totally passive. They are completely unmoved. Jeremiah 37, 2. Neither he, the king, nor his servants, nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. Baruch thunders the message at the fast, but all the passive hearers are just there. We've heard it a hundred times. We're tired. Get us home. There's a good show coming on today. We got to get home. We're binge watching Netflix. Hurry up, preacher. I just have to come. Pat, just tick my religious box. Things have always gone and been like this. We heard this when we were little. Don't worry. Good times are ahead. Everything will get back to normal. There'll be a course correction and everything will change. And here he is one last time. The enemy is here. A fastest call. Here's the final warning. And nothing registered in half of these people that were listening to the Word of God being read. Unmoved. And we got people all over today warning, Antichrist is coming. Warning, Mark of the Beast is here. Warning, watch out what we're seeing on the earth today. Watch out with the lockdowns. Watch out with these things. Going into the Scriptures, reading what God's Word says in Daniel, in Ezekiel, in Matthew 24, in Revelation. Reading the book and saying, hey, hey, perilous times are here. Birth pains are here. Jesus is coming. Get your house in order. The wise man in Matthew 7. Hey, if you're on a, a firm foundation, you'll be okay when the storms hit. If you're not, you're going to be swept away with the current and with everybody else but the passive here is being told one last time they're coming the Babylonians are coming and they're sitting there passively hearing and just discounting the word of God we got all the time in the world but I'd rather get married first but I'd rather go to college but I'd rather sow my wild oats but I'd rather all the while passively sitting there not fearing the Word of God. The word passive means receiving an action or a word without responding or initiating a response 
in return. And I ask you, does that sound like you when you read the Bible? Because I see Christians, and we justify our behavior. The Bible says don't hate your brother. And you've come up with some way to still hate him. And you give me all kind of reasons, and you give me all kind of twisted verses out of your heart, and everybody else can see it but you. It means to receive an action. You know God's Word says this. Young person, you know what God's Word says about those things you're doing. And yet, you, you respond passively with no response of doing what it asks us to do. Evan Roberts, I think at one of the greatest revivals, got up to the, to the pulpit, the Welsh revival. And you know what his message was? Obey God. And he went and sat down. And the people just started weeping because they had not been obeying God. Prosperity causes ease, friends. And we've been a nation at ease and very prosperous. And probably the times we are heading in are going to be a great course correction and a good thing for us. Because prosperity with it has caused us to shut our ears to God's truth, just like it did Israel, just like it did Judah. And Judah did this, and we are doing the same thing. The second, pa passivity, and here's what passivity does next. It opens your word to false doctrine. And my, how much false doctrine is out there today in false gospel. Number two, as he gets up, Baruch, to give this word, this final warning, the second hearer was the perturbed hearer. Micaiah overheard Baruch's message. And perturbed means to be greatly disturbed, made uneasy, or made confused. Thank God for the perturbed hearer. It's like the remnant. This person, thank God, Micaiah is an official in Jehoiakim's court. And Micaiah overheard Baruch's message about the fast and he shook with terror. He ran to the king's court to share it. He said, gentlemen, I've got disturbing news. The Chaldeans are too powerful for us. We can't stand up against them and we can't ignore it. We've we, we, we got to listen to God's word. They invite Baruch to a, a secret meeting. They heard the words. They began to tremble, the Bible says. They were afraid. They shuddered. They trembled. At God's word. That's the type of remnant here. God's got a remnant in the last days. They are shut up with Him. They are hearing the word of God. They're hearing the warnings of God and they shudder at the word of God. And that's why I'm here today, folks, is I can't sit idly by and just say, let's have a 15 minute sermon while the world goes to hell and while people perish. I don't want to play church. I want to be a remnant. And the multitude were unmoved. Those shut up with the Lord trembled. It trembled an, uh, an influential remnant. And I thank God for the perturbed here. And then last type here. And we got a lot of these two in the world today. And it's a pen knife here. See, the perturbed men heard the word and were stirred. You know. And now all of a sudden, we'll go tell the king. We've got to tell the king this. God's word says Chaldeans are coming. 
God's Word says the sin that America's committed, it's too big for us. What we've done, what we've sinned away God's grace and the things we've done, these are big things. The shedding of innocent blood, the killing of so many babies in abortion, the flaunting of marriage in the face of God. All of these things are not light matters. And somebody began to stand up, Baruch and Jeremiah, and say, Hey, America, you're not as good as you think you are. Israel, I know you're God's people. I know you go to church every Sunday. But, I've read the book. There's no repentance in the land. We've got to shudder at God's Word. And so all of a sudden, the perturbed men, they're shuddering at God's Word. They're believing God's Word. They run to the king. And Jehudi, he he comes and he he begins to describe, comes and he begins to get the book and begins to read to the king. And here's what it says he begins to do. Fetch me the book. Get the book. And he begins to take the Word of God and he's going to read it to the king. And here's what it says. And it came to pass in verse 23, that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he cut with a pen knife and cast into the fire that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed. I don't like that. I got to love my neighbor as myself. Uh-uh. This thing that I'm doing is an abomination. Uh-uh. God's love. He is love. That's why He's warning you. So you know what Jeremiah did? He did what's going to continue to happen in the world of ungodly people. You can't stamp the Word of God out. They tried to keep it out of China. They tried to keep it out of Iran. They tried to keep it out of Syria. You don't keep the Word of God out anywhere. And so Jeremiah said, Baruch, write it again with all the things he just cut out and send it back to him. Put it back before his face. Write another scroll. And something in the king's heart would not let go of the spirit of this world. And we got a whole group of people today that will not let go of the spirit of this world. So they continually alter and take their pen knife out and say, I don't receive that. And we got people that come to church now and they want to, they, 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 they're the final word. They want to sit back and they want to criticize everybody that gets up to teach God's word because they know everything and they can't be taught anything. And they've already taken the pen knife and they know what's truth and what's not truth but the person up there speaking and nobody else does. I got news for you. God can speak through a Baruch. God can speak through a donkey. You better listen to people who are carrying God's Word and speaking God's promises to you. So they brought pen knives, and we've got the same thing. No, I don't like what he said there. And we're just sitting there sermon tapes, just sitting back there criticizing every person that gets up here to preach, every person that teaches. Yeah, I like that. Who is Baruch to say that? Folks, every message I get, I tremble. And I say, dear God, if it's Daniel, dear God, if it's Megan... Dear God, if it's a child, 
I'm going to weigh it against Scripture. I'm going to test the Spirit. But I'm saying, God, speak to me. And if you see any wicked way in me, if you see something I'm not lining up, if you see something that needs to take place in my life, teach me. And today we've got youth pastors and everything else taking pen knives and we've got young people living in debauchery and sin and we've got drinking in the house of God, we've got partying, we've got all kinds of things going on now in houses of God everywhere because we won't listen to the Baruchs or the Jeremiahs. Know God's Word. That's why I, that's why I go back in closing. It's vital that we get together and we know God's Word. We know the Apostles' doctrine. And we drop everything that's contrary to it. And I want to close with this. You got my cow picture? Going back to my first message, you got two for one today. It's like a double header at a ball game. Same price of admission. Meditation in God's Word is vital. That's not just a Middle Eastern, and we've accepted a lot of that garbage into our, 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 our Asian and yoga. It's not exercise, people. Read the book so you'll know the, everything that's coming in this world today. It, it's, it's, it's turned into religion now. And it's a false religion. And the things we're doing and practicing, many of them are not of God. You're going to have to choose God or the world soon. It's going to cost you something soon. It's going to cost you a lot. Just decide now if you want the world's garbage for a few more minutes or if you want God. And be willing to let, let, let loose of the things of this earth. Let them grow strangely dim. Meditation is vital. Let me, let me close with this. Acts 6 and 4, the churches were growing so fast that they decided that they would devote themselves. Again, there's that word devote in Acts 6-4. They were having trouble. The widows, different things that were growing so fast, things began to be neglected. And there started to be little fights and skirmishes and problems. And so the Bible says in Acts 6-4, here's what they determined to do. They said they would devote themselves, the leaders, to prayer and the ministry of God's Word. Again, they stuck like glue to the prayer and the ministry of God's Word because they were going to get a Word from God, they were going to pray, and they were going to send it out to everybody because reading the Word is acquiring of knowledge. Studying the Word is assimilating that knowledge, or in other words, taking it into full understanding, digesting it, memorizing it is assessing the knowledge, and, and meditation is the application of that knowledge. So, so just skimming, oh boy, I read that chapter today. No, we want to acquire the knowledge, we want to, we want to take it in and digest it, we want to assess that knowledge, and we want to apply that knowledge to our lives. To our lives. Meditation is the digestive system of the soul. So here's what happens in the cow picture. How many know how a cow digests? Okay, they got four stomachs, right? Come on. You... Yeah. And here's what they do somehow they eat that green grass and they make that white milk. And so they eat, Tom, that grass. And boy, they eat grass and they eat grass. Then they decide they lay down, or whatever, stand up, and here's what they do. They chew on it, they regurgitate it back up, and they chew on it some more for a long time. And then they swallow it down into another stomach. And then they regurgitate some more, Raymond. 
and they chew on it, and then they back down, and then they regurgitate some more. And that's exactly what God wants you to do with the Word of God. He wants you to, he wants you to take the Word of God, and he wants, you to, he, he wants it to penetrate your heart. He wants it to permeate your soul, and he wants to persuade you into right living. Okay? Chew on it. Regurgitate it. Chew on it some more. Take it down and ingest it until you do it. It becomes part of you. And, and here's the deal. We, we, we kind of, through COVID, we kind of experienced a little bit of the, the airwaves of something kind of cool other than people being taken out of churches. How I many know Satan had owned the airwaves, right? And still does. I mean, it's disgusting. But one cool thing that happened was when we all went into these places, the Word of God just went out on the Internet. I'm talking about like in droves, like, like churches like this that never thought about being on the Internet quickly. I mean, the Word of God began to go out like crazy. And people began to watch two and three and four sermons. They're not doing that now because you can watch it, the decline of it. But they began to watch all these churches. You could go and find a church in Hong Kong. You could go find one in Moldova. You could go find one here. You could, if you could understand the language or whatever. But, but you, could, you were getting the Word of God. That's wonderful. But the flip side of that of where we need to be careful is with that glut of all that is we also need to know that with that glut is coming a lot of teachings that are not Christ-centered. And you've got to stay in a group like this, not this one, like this one, so that you know what you're learning is Christ-centered, so that we're not deceived. And so we want to be careful. And that's why you meditate on the Word of God. And the Bible says, He who meditates like a tree planted by water, He yields fruit in season. Whatever He does, He prospers. His leaves uh, it won't wither. The, 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 the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the, that the wind drives away. You know, they're not prosperous. They're not. So, so, so I, I just can't tell you enough. If you're not in God's Word, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you how many chapters you got to read per day or what you got to do, but I do want to tell you it's vital now that you open the book. It's vital now that you open the book and you begin to study and you begin to read. Amos 8 and 11, this is it, I'm done. I know I've kept you a long, long time today. Amos 8, 11 through 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not of bread nor of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. It doesn't mean there won't be a hundred million sermons on the internet. It just, but they won't be Christ-centered. They won't be the right thing. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and the strong young men, they're going to faint. And I love what I heard a preacher recently saying. He said, if COVID revealed one thing, it revealed we're not ready for what's coming next. The Bible says, in the last days, men will perish. They'll die from fear that is coming on this world. Do you not think, we're, do you not think every day the fear that is... That is is not beginning to say that people are dying. They're losing hope. They're losing heart. 
They're, 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 they're freaking out. And it's be, a lot of it's because we're not digesting faith in God's Word and knowing what God's promised in the book. So, Father, oh, Lord, please let something that's been said today move us, God. Me, I, I, I get so, so aggravated at my own personal life. God, I want to be moved with compassion. I, I want to hunger and thirst for your word more. I want to know you more intimately, God. I want to, I want to witness. I want to be bold. And many times I'm a coward. I want the boldness that the early church had. Sometimes I look at my life and I want to hide away from fellowship rather than to engage in it. God, I want the revelation of your oneness and I want to devote myself to these things, God. When I gather with the family, when I gather with people, I want, I want, I want it to center around your teaching. I want it to center around fellowship. I want it to center around looking after the needs of each other. I want it to center around breaking bread, communion together. I want it to center around prayer, God. And I want it to center around a lot of fun and laughing. And so, Lord, help us to do these things, God. Help us to look like this. And, God, I just today, my prayer, rather than just uh, necessarily an altar call today, that everyone right now in their heart would just say, God, just I want my household to be based on the Word of God. And I want to get into the Scriptures more and more, not only in my own personal life, but in my household that as, that's just like revival was breaking out in Jerusalem and new people were coming into the family of God, they needed the apostles' teaching. And so every house they went to, it was just natural for them to have this teaching going on. And dear God, as people come into the fold and into the body of Christ, oh Lord, may children in all ages be centered around the teaching of your word in our homes. Because now that it's missing, we have a divisive society and a divided society between secular and godly. And Lord, it, 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 we, we want to see your word come back in, into prominence in our lives and in our homes. God, we love you. We praise you. Bless this congregation. Bless this people. They love you. They love your word. May they tremble at your word. Maybe they be perturbed by what we've heard today, that we know judgment comes to, uh, and chaos comes to a world where we take the Word of God. May we not be passive, may we not be penknife here, but may we be perturbed. May we be the remnant, God, that, that runs uh, with, the, with the Word of God and begins to take it uh, to the four corners of the earth, God, and, and, and Lord, and takes this message. God, we love you, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.